following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Our text this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Turn with me there to Ephesians 3, at verse 14. The second prayer that Paul prays in the book of Ephesians, these prayers are both very rich and very instructive to us. Let us consider God's word as we hear it. Ephesians chapter 3, at verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, we pray for your spirit to open our hearts and minds to your word, that we might be blessed as we meet with you in your word. Through Jesus Christ, amen. There is no higher priority in the believer's life than to delight in the love of Jesus Christ. There's no higher priority than to delight in the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Knowing the love of Christ and rejoicing in the love of Christ for us is at the very heart and core of true worship. And we know that worship is the Christian's highest calling. But don't we all know that there are many ups and downs in our experience of Christ's love? Every Christian knows that there are times when we grow distant and cold to Christ's love, often because of our sin, often because of suffering and its effects on us. Well, here in Ephesians 3, Paul is praying for the believers at Ephesus, and one of the central petitions he prays, as we've just heard, is that they would know the love of Christ more deeply. At verse 18, Paul prays that they would have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This morning, I want us to think about this text, about having our lives Rooted in Christ's love. Our three main points are these. Number one, what does it mean to know Christ's love? Secondly, why is this so important? And third, how do we cultivate a deeper knowledge of Christ's love? So first of all, what does it mean to know Christ's love? Fundamentally, we come to know Christ's love by faith. 
Conversion is essentially by faith, believing in the cross of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ poured out for me. Paul is writing to believers here. It's interesting that he prays these kinds of things. He prays in verse 17 that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. We might read that and think, wait, isn't he speaking to Christians? Yes. That is part of the initial entrance into the Christian life and walk, coming to have Jesus Christ dwelling within us by faith. But it's also to be something that is to be the Christian's daily food, that we would dwell on Christ by faith and that he would more powerfully dwell in our lives. And the Christian life involves growing in the knowledge of Christ's love. So it's not surprising that here and elsewhere we find this theme in God's Word. Paul is praying for the Christians to know Christ's love. We might summarize this experience, this Christian experience in these terms. It's an actual experience in which we are made aware in a fresh way of Christ's amazing love to us. And we need this repeatedly in our walk with Christ, to be made aware in a fresh way of Christ's love. It's more than a mere mental understanding. It is that, of course. We need to understand what the Bible says about Christ's love for us, that nothing can separate us from Christ's love, but is more than mentally assenting to that or understanding that. It involves a felt enjoyment of God's love. It involves emotion. We Presbyterians don't like to speak too much about emotion. The old Puritans talked about the affection of our hearts, that our affections would be moved. Emotions such as joy and delight and comfort and peace and assurance. Yes, not divorced from faith and mental understanding, but the fruit of faith and mentally understanding. We might call it a warm consciousness of Christ's love. And clearly, Scripture teaches that this implies the agency of the Holy Spirit in our lives, making Christ's love real to us in a new and living way. In fact, the main petition of this prayer, which we really aren't focusing on this morning in verse 16, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Structurally, the language here, that's the primary petition of the prayer, and everything else are sub-petitions of that main petition's that they would have the power of the Spirit mightily upon their lives. So the Spirit makes this alive to us. We heard it in the assurance read this morning in Romans chapter 5, where Troy read the fact that sufferings produce perseverance and character and hope. And then in verse 5 of Romans 5, Paul concludes this paragraph, and hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because... God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This doesn't disappoint us because there is a sense of God's love on our hearts. We know God is at work. We know God loves us because the Spirit pours out the love of Jesus Christ into our hearts, even in suffering. Similarly, we read in Galatians 2, 20, where the apostle is speaking about his walk with Christ, and he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look how Paul personalizes God's love for him in Christ. He can use the first person. He loved me and gave himself for me. Jude chapter 21 speaks about the importance of keeping ourselves in God's love. In verse 21 of Jude, it says, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Christians are to keep themselves in Christ's love. In the Old Testament, we read in Psalm 63, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. What's the psalmist saying? He's saying God's love is better than anything else in life, and it moves him to praise. Or the Song of Songs in chapter 1, verse 2, Your love is more delightful than wine. Listen to what one commentator says about this text. No words could more perfectly express the longings of the Christian soul for new and refreshing enjoyment of the love of Christ. Every true believer echoes the sentiment that the love of Jesus is better than wine. As wine fills the mouth with the taste of sweetness, so does Christ fill the heart of the child of God. As wine refreshes and gladdens the spirit of man, so does a taste of Christ's love elevate and exhilarate the Christian soul. As wine banishes care and brings ease to the heart and mirth to the lips, so does the love of Jesus lift the believer's mind above earthly care and stir within him strong emotions of delight in God. Of course, wine might leave a person in a worse state or not to drink too much. Scripture makes it very clear. Do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. There is no bad side effect of being filled with the love of Jesus Christ. It is the most powerful motivating force in the Christian life. And we are called to delight in the love of Jesus Christ. And so what does it mean to know Christ's love? It means to be regularly refreshed by knowing Christ's love poured out into our hearts by the Spirit. I hope that's an encouragement to you, and I hope it's a challenge to you as you just hear about that, that it's, it's not some kind of theory only. Yes, the Christian life is by faith, and we must exercise faith. We'll come to see in terms of how this is done. But there is an important place for our affections, for our experience, to rejoice in the Lord always, to delight in the Lord. We shouldn't be satisfied with a dull, cold Christian life. We must be renewed in our knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ, that we can say with Paul in Galatians 2, he loved me and gave himself up for me. That we can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians chapter 1. In other words, Paul's saying, I am in a living relationship to my Savior Jesus Christ. And it gives joy to my soul. Think of the Lord's love for you as a fire burning in your soul. I'm sure some of you kids here have worked on learning to build a campfire. I remember that from my Boy Scout days, how you put certain size sticks in a pile there, and then you put other size sticks above it, and you put the kindling at the very bottom with the, you know, like the pine needles and things like that that burn really well, and then you tried to use your flint 
uh, stone and spark a fire and get the campfire going. And then after that doesn't work because you're not very good at it, you take a match and you light it and uh, the fire starts up. Think of the kindling as the word of God, the truth of God about the gospel and his grace to us in Christ. And think of that spark, which does work in this case, the Holy Spirit who gives life to our souls. Think of our need for the Word of God and the Spirit of God to kindle this fire. And the fire itself, the love of Jesus Christ poured out into our hearts by the Spirit. This is our need daily, weekly. Yes, there are ebbs and flows, but this is our need. Well, secondly, why is it so important to be rooted in Christ's love? Why is it so important to be rooted in Christ's love? In short, if you do not frequently experience a felt enjoyment of Christ's love, then your love for Christ will grow cold. It's as simple as that. If you do not frequently and regularly experience something of the felt love of Jesus Christ, of your affections being moved by the love of Jesus Christ for you, then your love for him will grow cold. There are many dangers and temptations in the Christian life. There are many trials and hardships. There is false teaching everywhere. There are all the lies that the world holds out to you. And you know all the various kinds of lies and sins that are so tempting to Christians. And the world presses upon us. And the actual truth is that there is a a form of satisfaction, of joy, in sin, in what the world has to offer. But it's fleeting, we know. It passes away. It doesn't truly satisfy. The only thing that truly satisfies is joy in Christ our Lord. And there's even that creeping coldness of heart that rises from within us. How does that occur? Well, there's the real possibility in every one of us that we learn to live at a distance from the love of Christ. The flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, we read in Galatians. There's this constant tendency to withdraw from Jesus Christ. Even though we know him by faith, there's this tendency that our hearts would grow dull. Days or even weeks and months can go by in the experience of God's people in which they are virtual strangers to the inward enjoyment of Christ's love. And the soul begins to grow callous and layers of coldness or worldliness like coatings of paint on an old door, that there's paint upon paint upon paint that spreads over the soul till we become accustomed to feeling nothing, enjoying nothing, expecting nothing from our Lord. It's a sad state of heart. And at this point, the believer has slipped into a lukewarm life. And the next step downward is a dead formalism, so that you're just going through the motions. Maybe you still go to church regularly. You sit here and hear the Word of God preached, but your hearts are very cold. And your prayer life begins to melt away, and Bible reading becomes lifeless. And the soul has no delight in the things of the Spirit. There is no enjoyment of God. Think of singing that first hymn, When morning gilds the sky, my heart awakening cry, may Jesus Christ be praised. Is there any of that in your life? That when you wake up, when it's 
morning there is a, a delight in your soul, and maybe you have to stir yourself and seek the Lord in prayer and read his word, but is there any felt enjoyment of God? Or is God just distant from your heart? And lots of ways to slip into this mindset. Maybe you start justifying various kinds of sin in your life. Uh, maybe the company you keep and the friends that are really your best friends and you spend all your time with start to lead you down the wrong path. And what we find is what's described in Revelation chapter 2 is that we begin to lose our first love. It's interesting that this prayer to the Ephesians uh, in chapter 3 that we've read, you think of that church not much further down the road historically And you have the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ writing to them, speaking to them through the Apostle John in Revelation 2, saying, yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. Interesting, isn't it? The very same church, Ephesus. And what's especially sobering to me is that the verses, verses 2 and 3 that precede this statement that they've lost, they've forsaken their first love, is that... Jesus says to them, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. He says, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So these are true believers who are persevering, enduring hardship. There's that good fruit in their life. But it's possible to do all that and to some degree to forsake your first love. And then we remember what First John says, we love because he first loved us. How do we restore our love for Christ? Well, we have to focus on his love for us. What's the greatest power in the Christian life? The answer is not my love to God, but the answer is God's love to me, God sending Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, my Savior, going to the cross, dying, rising, the love of Jesus Christ applied to my heart, by the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing me to Christ, making me stand, keeping me to the end. It's the love of God that is the the ultimate power in our lives to keep us in the faith and to help us to continue to grow. The love of Jesus Christ is like a nuclear reactor compared to the little weak campfire of my love for Christ. And it's as we focus on that nuclear reactor of of Christ's love for me that our campfire grows. Why is it so important then to know Christ's love? Because knowing Christ's love by faith and in our experience is at the very heart of coming to know Christ. And it's at the very heart of growing in our walk with Christ. And it's the difference between mere formal religion on one hand and a living relationship to Jesus Christ On the other hand, and it's absolutely central, and no wonder Paul prays for the Ephesians about this. Dr. Michael Emlett is a medical doctor and a biblical counselor for the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. And in a recent article, he asked this question. He says, if you're a youth leader and you learn that a young man in your youth group has started to date a non-Christian girl, and you find out that they have crossed the line in terms of sexual purity, how might you counsel this young man? 
And in this article, Emlet says, you might turn to the Bible's timeless principles and commands. You might quote 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Or he says, you might bring up some scriptural examples to follow or avoid. You might bring up the good example of Joseph fleeing from Potiphar's wife. Or the bad example of Samson and the way his heart was led astray because of his relationship to Delilah. Or, Dr. Emlet says, you might even counsel this young man by discussing basic biblical doctrine, that sanctification flows out of our justification. And he says, you wouldn't be wrong. These are all possible ways to advise this young man, and they're certainly true and good, but notice what he says. Any of these uses of Scripture might be beneficial to your teen, and none are wrong in and of themselves, but something is missing, or better, someone is missing, the person of Jesus Christ. He says, if we don't ultimately view the Bible as an unfolding, cohesive story of God's redemption that comes to completion in Jesus Christ, our use of Scripture in ministry situations has the potential to miss Him, capital H, and so will our hearers. Those we minister to need more than commands, principles, examples, and systematic theology categories per se. Rather, they need to be connected in vital relationship with a Redeemer. And Emlet goes on to describe how to possibly do that in this particular situation. But my point is this. In that particular case, or in any of our lives, real change, real repentance, and a turning from specific sins comes only out of a living relationship with Jesus, our Redeemer. That's why it's so important to know Christ's love and to keep coming back and growing deeper in that love. That's the love that transforms our souls from within. And so our third and concluding point is this. Practically speaking, how do we cultivate a deeper knowledge of Christ's love? Well, first of all, we need to expect God to meet with us. We need to, by faith, look to God and believe and believe his truth and believe his word. And there's this sense of expecting him to fulfill his promise to bless us with himself, with his love. We need to stand at his word and look for him to answer. It's like standing at a bus stop. If you ever take a bus and you stand there or metro station, why do you wait there? You expect the bus or the train to come. If you don't expect or believe that it's possible to know and experience the outpouring of God's love in your heart, then you will probably experience and know very little of it. If you don't have any expectation of it, you won't experience much of it. The love of Jesus Christ is real. You know, there are a lot of blockbuster movies that come out in the summertime, and they have all these special effects, and now you can't even tell hardly what's real and what's a computer-generated special effect. Of course, even the special effects are not real, real. Nothing's real. But the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is, is real. And we need to expect his love to be poured out into our hearts. We need to begin with that act of faith in him. And then we need to pray. 
and to ask, even as Paul prays. No wonder Paul is praying for them. He's going to go on and talk about spiritual warfare. He's going to talk about battling particular sins in Ephesians 4 and 5 and 6. But we need to pray. We need to ask. We need to begin by admitting, Lord, I am in many ways empty and cold and dull of heart. We need to humble ourselves, and the Lord will lift us up and pour out his love into our hearts afresh. And then we need to seek. Paul prays fervently here, and it's a powerful prayer. We need to seek. Jesus says, seek, and it will be given you. Keep yourselves in the love of Christ, says Jude. Read Scripture. Spend time with God. We think of Jacob wrestling with the angel until he wouldn't let him go, and he was blessed. Ask yourself, do I have an enjoyment of God today, and don't let him go until he blesses you? And then enjoy fellowship with God's people. It's interesting that in Ephesians 3, Paul prays that they would have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It's interesting that he associates it with all the saints, that there is this sense of corporate unity, our need for one another, to be encouraging one another, that what happens some degree to all of us Sundays when we come to worship our God and to meet together like this, we are all reminded of the love of Jesus Christ, and especially when we observe communion. Here it is demonstrated in tangible ways before us how we need the fellowship of the saints to, to reform our thinking and to reform our interpretive grid of life that we're reminded again of the love of Jesus Christ. No wonder Hebrews three, twelve and 13 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. We need that mutual encouragement. And so we can ask ourselves, how long has it been since we have savored the love of Jesus Christ? It will not be long until we all see him face to face. The years of this life go by quickly. You do not know when your time may come. And we ultimately know that he keeps us. But the means by which he does so is by keeping us in his love. If you were a soldier on the front line of Afghanistan or Iraq right now, and you know that your life was in danger every day, and you were enduring hardship for your nation's sake, wouldn't a love letter from your wife be a great encouragement to you? And when you got one, wouldn't you be built up by that? Wouldn't you reread it over and over again? The, the Bible, the gospel, is God's love letter to us, telling of us of his great love to us in Christ. We are on the front lines of spiritual warfare. We need to be encouraged regularly by the love of Jesus Christ. And whether your life involves suffering right now, whether you are facing some specific temptation that is very powerful, whether you're struggling with assurance, the answer in each case is to go deeper into Christ's love for you that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Father, may this be rooted in our hearts. We look to you to bring this about, to your honor and glory. Through Jesus Christ, amen.